everyone this morning. Cold? <laughs> Maybe. We're uh, sort of in um, wisdom series from when we like to look at some passages from the Old Testament. Um, and we, uh, we're, this is the fifth week, so we're well into it, and we're on the way to going into our next series, I expect. But um, here we are this morning. It's, it's love to know that God has ways in which we can walk in life, which come from his heart to guide us into the paths of righteousness, to help us do our part in the church, be mobilized. God said, I'm mobilizing you. Yes, we are a mobile army, aren't we, as we move forward. Well, today, I've um, I brought a little bottle of oil with me, so God speak to me in the, spoke to me in the week and said, you're not using oil when you pray for people. So we'll see where we go. But yeah, the wisdom series, and this morning we're in a book in the Old Testament called Ecclesiastes. It's Ecclesiastes 5, um, and um, if you want to locate that somewhere, whether it's on mobile devices, well, mobile churches, we must have mobile, so, um, or in your Bibles, you'll find it somewhere, somewhere in the Old Testament. But just to make a little connection, yes, we, we prayed for Israel last week, and Bob prayed for Israel and Gaza and beyond uh, this morning. And it's amazing how there's a story being played out over there. What we have today began in the heart of Israel, the true heart of Israel. So by default, whatever happens, we can never move away from that, and it's there. Now, there are two very important things, well, more than two important, but things that God rose up in the, heart, in the nation of Israel, well, one uh, is called a tabernacle, and the other is called a temple, which we're going to refer to this morning as the house of God. But we have to take that on from there and bring it to us today, because there is no temple. There will be later on, um, but there's no temple today that we go to, because... We, as believers, are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Because when Jesus said about the temple in Jerusalem when he was there, this building will be destroyed and I will raise it again in three days, he was talking about himself, that while the physical temple was there, he was raising a spiritual temple, and that would be his body. It would be... Well, you don't have to go to a building now. There's no need to go to a special, ornate building now because I've replaced that. The person of Jesus fulfills all that we need to come to God and to enjoy the benefits of being a believer in him through salvation and through his grace and through his mercy. That's, that, that, that is so amazing. But because we want to learn from the Old Testament, and in this wisdom series we're learning things, 
We're just going to pop back to one of the temples in the Old Testament in Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes because it starts off, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Or, as the authorised version takes it, I, I, I think it's keep your foot. <laughs> keep your foot. And there's a bit of nuance going in, in here that... When, you go, when they went into the temple, they were moving out of one world into another. Spiritually and practically, actually. They were moving from one to the other. Um, so it made me think here, if we've got, and he was thinking about the threshold of the temple, there's a point when you pass from one dimension to the other. We don't have that sort of experience because this building's not that important. It's useful, but it's not important in that same sense. But there's a sense when we actually come out from a dimension out there into the presence of God here. And once upon a time, and going back in churches, I mean, several churches I used to go out to pre-chat, um, there was no chatting going on. People were just sitting there in their seats, quiet and silence. Um, I don't think it did anything to encourage the presence of God, but that's just how we behaved then, because they'd come from outside into another side. And um, so there's that sense of when we gather together, we're actually moving from one dimension to another, moving powerfully. We're coming into the place where the Holy Spirit can move powerfully today in the context of the church. We're moving from one dimension to another. And so we start off this reading in Ecclesiastes 5, and it says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God to draw near, to listen, is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter, utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. The nuance behind this is making rash promises or praying to impress. So very often when we get excited in the Holy Spirit... It's easy to make rash promises, isn't it? Ah, well, I, you know, I'm going to do that now for the every day of my life. Boom, but you're not. So it's easy to make rash promises, isn't it? And it's also easy to impress by the words we use in prayer. Very often we come into prayer meetings, and um, I've been in prayer meetings, let me put it this way. I've been in prayer meetings, and... Um, someone will pray, thank you God for what I was doing yesterday and how I met that person and that person. And that. But really what they're telling you is what they were up to yesterday. That's not praying. We pray to worship God, to honour him. Our focus is on Jesus. So let's read on. For a dream comes with much business and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. 
It is better that you should not bow than that you should bow and not pay. And so God is saying, think before you speak. We had the opportunity early on last year to to vow payments into the youth work and the children's work. And I'm sure all of us paid up. But the similar sort of thing, you know? It's easy to say to God what we're doing and make a vow. I mean, I suppose in a sense, many things I've said to God, I want to do that. I want to change now. But I didn't. And so that sort of vow in your heart, you don't follow through with. So what God's looking for as we come within the context, the body of the church, is for our integrity and our commitment to be on show. And we demonstrate that in certain ways. Because the high calling of the church, this is a majestic gathering this morning. And sometimes we actually don't get the weight of it. And the, the preacher here is saying, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Be real about yourself and be true to your heart. That's all God asks. And honour me. Verse 6, let not your mouth lead you into sin and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Ah, <laughs> that's inconsistent, isn't it? In the sense, um, God's church demands consistency. If we want to honour God, we will aim to be consistent in the things we do and the things we say. And that was one of the amazing things about Jesus. And Luke pointed it out as he started writing Acts. He said, I'm going to tell you of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. There was such an amazing unity between what he said and what he did. You remember, if you remember what Jesus said about the religious, the Pharisees in those days, he says, you're hypocrites. In actual fact, what you say does not match what you do. And so in this, what we're reading this morning, it's talking about a consistency that matters. A consistency that matters. Don't change every hasty wish into a prayer. Talking about dreams. And some, you know, especially at night, I think, oh, I could do that, 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 and that. And you sort of dream what you want to do. And when you get up in the morning, you get to it, you say, well, I haven't got enough money to start with. And I can't do it because of this. And I can't feel like it anyway. And you, you find that you're, you're making, you're saying hasty prayers. So don't change every hasty wish into a prayer. In other words, he's saying, you've got these dreams of, of all that's happening because you're busy and your mind's in overdrive all of a sudden. But think before you speak. Let there be a consistency and integrity because you are part of the house of God. Verse 7, for when dreams increase and words grow many, there is a vanity. But God is the one you must fear. So what's he saying? 
don't play around with God because of the price that's on your head. Demonstrate reverence in how you act in all your ways. So it's quite a, those, the temple in those days, there was a serious approach to it, but they didn't get it somehow. Mainly they didn't get it as a nation. And so in our prayers this morning, we've been in Israel this morning, we've actually gone back there with Solomon as the preacher, and he's gone back. God, he's gone back to the threshold of the temple where your foot goes from one side to the other, and uh, he's going into the heart of the nation because when you go into that temple, you've walked into a new dimension. We need to be different people. We need to honour God in what we do and how we behave and what we see. Paul, writing to Timothy, talking to the early Christians, said them in quite simple words, we ought to know how we're to behave ourselves in the house of God. Now, he wasn't talking about the temple, but he was talking about the locally gathered church, how we behave ourselves. I'm going to hit hard at one or two things this morning, um, because I feel I should, for a certain specific reason. But let's go back to where we were. As seen from this world, I'm just making a summary of the book of Ecclesiastes, where the preacher's talking from. As seen from this world only, life seemed to be an empty experience. We bring nothing into this world, we take nothing out of this world, and lose everything you have and are in the meantime. Oh, what a glum picture. And that was the heart of Ecclesiastes. And um, when, when the scriptures have been reviewed in times past, they, they wanted to chuck, chuck this book out because it's a bit glum. It's not doing much to encourage people. And um, life is empty. And, and well, what are we going to do, lads? You know, we've had that. So the whole world, of, the whole of our lives and activities appear to be in a transitory experience without lasting benefits. <clears throat> I thought God was a God of encouragement. So that is why the priest arrives at the most unsatisfactory conclusion. All is vanity, empty, worthless, dissatisfying. And that's not how it's meant to be, is it? That's not how it's meant to be. But the preacher also sees a solution. Amen. Wonderful when there's an answer, isn't it? Turning Godward, he finds that there's a divine providence ruling everything. Hallelujah. Pop back to Israel today. There's a divine providence ruling over everything. And as a church of the living God, we come into that with our praying, with our interest that God will bring peace there. And we pray into that. We're talking about a creator God who was satisfied to the core with all he had made, what he had made, and the unequaled beauty was of an eternal value and of cosmic proportions. Verse 2, we read, God is in heaven. And we are on earth. It's not just here. God is over all. Ruling in heaven. 
Turning Godward also, he finds a saving factor, turning vanity into treasure, lostness into lasting treasure, and this was the opportunity to connect and reconnect with our loving maker for the generation and people. Then it was right at the threshold of the temple. They could connect with God. They could be his people because that building was raised to honour God. And that, might be, that the people might go there to honour God in his ways. And yet they failed. Solomon himself, the writer of Ecclesiastes, we call him the preacher here, he'd invested time, wealth, his subjects, along with massive logistical operation into constructing the amazing majestic temple building. While its purpose was to enable God and people to find each other and be in agreed relationship together, the building itself could do nothing, absolutely nothing, until... Man's heart changed. And sometimes with church, it needs a change of heart for us as we learn together and be in church together because we are the temple of the living God. So from then to now, we now approach God and find a new and living way that's been opened up for us through Jesus. Whoever wants to get right with God can through Jesus. Jesus and his church facilitate the same and greater opportunities to become sons of God and heirs of the promises. So one thing that the temple was for the Jewish people was an identity. This, is, this building demonstrates how God has a special purpose for us and this is the majestic, this is the, about the glory of God. And I'm part of that and come to it. And when we're talking about the church, we're thinking the same. The church, the people, is raised for the glory and the honour of God. It's a majestic building. And that really makes us think, how do we treat church how would we respond to our local church? We talk about the church globally, the universal church, but more importantly, our response is to the locally gathered church. That's important to get the difference between the local church and the local gathered church because the gathering bit is quite important. If none of us came, nothing would happen. And Jesus said, where there's two or three meeting in my name, I go too. I turn up as well. So, and it's not, that's not a word of encouragement for small congregations, but it's Jesus fulfilling a promise. It's people together I really want. People meeting together. Now, one of the problems with that is that there are so many things to stop us coming, and so many things to keep us away from the locally gathered church, like Beacon, for example. So many things. Growing up with our children, you get your children ready to come out on a Sunday morning. Catherine ended up in the coal bunker. 
Should we dress to come to church? She's in a gold bunker. Oh, you turn around next, and uh, the dogs run off. We, got, we drive down the main road, and this is the main A28 from Canterbury to Margate, and we see our spotted almost Dalmatian dog running up the A28. Lord, what are we going to do about this dog? And we're on our way to church. And then someone phones up and he said, would you come round and have a look at my cooker? Oh, all when we're going out. And you know why? The opposition of our enemy is trying to keep us away from the house of God. How do you get over that? You have to work against it. You have to pray against it. You have to say, I'm not going to get sidelined. Because presence in the gathered church is something which is above all. And I know I'm talking straight here. I, I'm old school, but I'm not a hardliner. Okay? Your presence in the gathered community of the church, as many Sundays as you can make, is so very, very important. Church doesn't compete with social events. That says, well, I've got something better on today. I'll do that. And yet we have had the highest calling on our lives, and that's the blood of Jesus Christ. He's paid the price, and our place in the gathered community is there. So guard our steps when we go to the house of God. We just need to appreciate our locally gathered church more and more and more. And just to finish off this little bit, in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 16, this is writing into the context of a New Testament church. Uh, the, the missionary and writer Paul said, For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Do you feel like that? The context of this verse is that we should be guarding our distinctives as church within the world and lifestyles that we live and pursue. To say it bluntly, the church is more important than going to a party. Far more important. And we need to raise the value of that for other events. Don't let church compete with social events our place is here amongst the people of God and I want to move from that because I feel that God wants to strengthen our position we are onto a new thing about moving forward into a new venue and I believe God uh, Mick and I, I just want to bring Mick and Adrian into this because Mick gave us a word and he saw Beacon in a holding pattern you know, like an aircraft comes in and it's held in a uh, whatever they call it. And, uh, pardon? Stack. Yes, that's right. Thank you, darling. Uh, we're held in a. St we're not stacked on one another, are we? No. Um, but yeah, um, held in a stack, waiting to land. Held in a stack, waiting to land. And then Adrian, a little while ago, read from Isaiah 54. Now, let's think about this a minute. An aeroplane preparing to land, but not landing quite yet, guarding a safe approach and the passengers, 
Some passengers are getting fidgety. Some are filling in their documents. Some are calming themselves with music. Some are making sure they've got all their belongings. Some are excited. Some are fearful. There's expectation. There's annoyance that we've been placed in a queue. And my time's running out. Sort of experience in the stacking area. And if we're waiting to move on from here to our new building, we can have any one of those experiences. So I believe that God wants to strengthen us through looking at Isaiah 53 this morning, which then redirect our house, our thoughts, to guarding our steps for the house of God. If you've got the Bible, if you turn to Isaiah 54, we just read those verses which Adrian brought to us a little while ago. Isaiah 54, verse 1, Sing, O barren one who did not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor. For the children of a desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent and let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out do not hold back, lengthen your cords, and strengthen your stakes. For you will spread abroad to the right and to the left, and your offspring will possess the nations and will people their desolate cities. Strengthen and lengthen. Oh, what does this mean? Strengthen and lengthen. Well, first of all, it calls for a song. To sing. Now, Solomon's father, David, and Ivan mentioned this in prayer this morning, he said, I was glad when they said, let's go to the house of the Lord. Have you got that gladness? Have you got that joy? Because if you haven't, you'll easily go off into some other tangent on a Sunday morning. We so need, we so need the joy of the Lord, the joy of the Holy Spirit. Reinhard Bonnke, the evangelist, said, a dead church is a sin. Now, I sort of would need to work that out a little bit. But he says, a dead church is a sin. When we come together, we should be exuberant <laughs> in the joy of the Lord. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Because this a gift of the Holy Spirit, to know the joy of the Lord, which is our strength. I just ask yourself, have you got that joy this morning? Because it can be snatched away so easily. Jesus should be our joy. If he's, if he's here amongst the people, we should be rushing to get here. Jesus is our joy. The joy of life. says, sing. It demands a new song to sing about all that Jesus did in Isaiah 53 because he made it all right. It also talks about a supernatural community because here's a woman who hasn't got a husband and yet she's got children. A bit like Mary, really. A supernatural distinctive about the local church being filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking and praying and worshipping in the power of the Spirit. 
the nuance in these words, it says, enlarge the place of your tent and let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. So what's this is all about? Well, the nuance comes from Abraham and Isaac, uh, sorry, Abraham and Sarah, where Nathan, uh, Abraham had been given a promise by God that though his wife was barren and she couldn't have children, she would have. And um, she would have children and... Um, they would need to build, have a bigger tent to house these children. So the nuance is there from the prophet Isaiah. You will have children. You need to get a bigger tent. Now, that took faith, didn't it? And it also said, and let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. What does that mean? It means you'll need bigger curtains. You'll need to, because the curtains were the rooms within a tent. And it says, you'll need roominess. And so as we look to moving to a new venue, we want roominess, don't we? Amen. Room to house the people. They need roominess. Let the curtains of your habitation be stretched out. Wow. Come on, Abraham. Get your servants. Sew up some bigger curtains because I'm going to have a family. Actually, God said, I'm going to have a family that's too numerous. You can't count them. They're going to be more than the stars in the sky morning. He says, well, it's a really big tent. I'm got to, I can't do that. Lord. So there's going to be a supernatural dimension to this story. And it will be for us as we move into our next venue. It's going to be a supernatural story. It's going to be the provision of God. Lengthen your cords. Well, yeah. What that means is... You're going to, you need more of what you've got already. You need more of what you've got already. So we just need to drive forward a little bit, don't we? And it says strengthen your stakes. This process was making sure those stakes were strong enough for the bigger building, for the onslaught, of weather, the sandstorms, and all that was going to come. Maybe the raiders, who knows? But they needed stakes that would hold the building, the truth of God. Now, with those stakes, what they used to, they used to leave them in the ground too long, and occasionally they need to be brought out to be repaired. And those that weren't now holding need to be replaced. And so, the lengthening of the cords and the strengthening of your stakes, this was provision for the new building. No, it was a tent, but the same thought is there. Strengthen the cords and strengthen your stakes, for you will spread abroad to the right and to the left, and your offspring will possess the nations and will people the desolate cities. One last thing. In our reading in Ecclesiastes, the nuance there as an actual fact, your mouth doesn't tie up with your head. There's a disunity between the two. A disunity. And I just want to speak about unity in another way. And I'll leave it there. We sometimes think of unity as churches in the location getting on together. 
We also think about biblical unity as um, maybe a couple of people have fallen out in church and they need to agree together because Paul spoke into a situation like that. Like, you need to get on together, you two women. That's important too. But there's a unity here. There's a unity here that's quite important. Us all being together in one place at the same time. You remember when Jesus told the disciples to go away in Jerusalem? They were all together when they prayed. Then it says again, just before the Holy Spirit came, that they were all together in one place. Now, when we gather together as a church, in order to demonstrate our unity, it's a good thing to all try and get here together at the same time. I know it's hard-hitting, but I think it's quite important because guarding your steps when to go to the house of God is honouring God by being amongst the gathered, being in the gathered church, playing our part in the body. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your amazing purpose for your church and for Beacon. And we pray, Holy Spirit, you'll come upon us now as we worship, as we talk together, and maybe you want to do some things with us. Lord, who knows? Lord, Father, just pray for the manifestation of your spirit amongst us as we, as we move towards worshipping. Lord, just pray for healing. Pray for breakthroughs. Lord, we pray for Jesus to be glorified within our beacon community. In Jesus' name.